following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday morning at 9.45 or 11.30 a.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. The greatest crime in history. Most notorious criminals. It doesn't seem like it should be that impacting. All they did is they just ate a piece of fruit. That's all they did. What could have been so bad about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden eating a piece of fruit? How could that have been the most notorious crime ever in the, in the history of humanity? Now, we have been each week showing you video footage of that event, and it may have come across that we actually found these, our archaeology team found these videos, I may have misled you a little bit, we didn't actually find these videos, okay, I don't want to shock any of you, but we've actually, we've made the videos, okay, sorry if we misled you in some way, okay, but our goal is to show you the most historically and theologically accurate picture of what this looked like with Adam and Eve in the garden. So, without further ado, please uh, take a look at episode four of Murder in the Garden. Last week on Murder in the Garden. What do you want, Snake? I uh, have a proposition for you. Just give him a chance, Adam. What I got here is a piece of fruit. I've been thinking about a name, a name that just rolls off the tongue and that everyone can remember, like banana. But I came here to tell you that we should just eat the fruit. Banana. Please enjoy the music while your party is reached. I like to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas. You have reached the voice mailbox of The Snake. To leave a voice message, press 1 or just wait for the tone. Mailbox full. Goodbye. What? Hello? Hey, it's The Snake. Let's talk fruits. You thought about it? Yes, quite a bit actually. We had a bit of a tussle with the name of the fruit, but... I think we agreed to disagree on that one. Well, that's good. Yes, well, one thing that we did agree on, we want to give your fruit a try. Oh, yeah? But I was wondering one thing. Will we be able to fly? Not that I'm aware of. That's a dumb question. We're in. Well, I think so. You better go catch it. Stop messing with me. (laughs) Bye. You know we're over our minutes, right? (gasps) Tune in next time for another episode of Murder in the Garden. Valuable addition to your life, that video right there. You, You needed to see that. And before you mob us and ask, yes, we have made... A ringtone out of I want to eat apples and bananas. Okay, so 
It's on our website. You can go to the downloads page and you can have that ringtone today. Okay, we just don't want anyone to mob us. You can get that for your Apple or Android device. Okay, so the story is Adam and Eve in the garden. God placed them there. There was uh, all these trees that they could eat from. He said, there is one tree that you can't, I, I don't want you to eat from. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent tempts them and Adam and Eve both eat the fruit. Now here's our running hypothesis when it comes to this story. It's that this this sin, as the Bible says, it's kind of the mother sin. This is, there's no evil in the world, there's no sin in the world up until this moment. Adam and Eve rebel against God, and, and the Bible presents this as the first sin that then sends sin into all of humanity. So our running hypothesis is, okay, if this is the mother sin from which all other mistakes failures, all other uh, kinds of sins come from, then we can look at the DNA of this mother sin and we'll find the same DNA in our mistakes generations later. We'll find the same lies that we believe. We'll find the same assumptions that we make. We'll find the same impulses that drive us to make mistakes that we see in Adam and Eve. So we're picking apart the story so we can get to the DNA so that we don't fall into the same traps, so that we don't make the same big mistakes. Now, why do we care about that? Well, here's why that's so significant. Because no one wakes up one morning and says, you know what, today I'm just going to wreck the whole thing. I'm just going to ruin it all. I'm going to mess up my life. No one wakes up, you know what, I'm just not comfortable with how things are going. I'm just going to ruin everything. You know what, I'm going to make some really bad decisions today and so that my whole relationship, my marriage, my relationship with my kids, it's all wrecked. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make those decisions today. No one does that, or at least no one in their right mind does that. No one in their right mind says, you know what, I'm going to make some really bad financial decisions and just plunge myself into financial ruin or just saddle myself with debt that I'm going to regret for decades to come. See, none of us, most of us are not going to wake up one morning and just say, you know what, I'm just going to wreck it all. I'm just going to fall right into temptation. That's what's going to happen. You know what it may have felt like that morning when someone made those bad decisions? It probably felt a lot like how we feel right now. Business as usual. Just kind of going through life. I think everything's all right. And the scary thing, the uneasy thing, is if we don't realize the impulses underneath some of the temptations, we can fall into the same traps. The best way for us to go into this chapter this morning is to feel a little uneasy with the idea that temptation is out there and it's never this line that we're like, you know what, today I'm just going to give in to temptation. It's never like that. It sneaks up on someone. They're caught before they realize it, that they're in the midst of it. And so this morning, the best way we can enter into this discussion about the temptation presented in this passage is a little uneasy looking for, okay, I need to see these impulses under the surface so that I don't fall into the same traps. We're going to jump into Genesis chapter 3 this morning. You can follow along with me in your Bible or Bible app. It's also in the bulletin, and it's going to be up here on the screens as well. This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. If you remember, we talked about last week that the temptation that, that the snake presents to Adam and Eve, it's like temptation concentrate. 
It's only three sentences. And with three sentences, the snake takes down all of humanity. So let's look at what he said in these three very potent sentences. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, okay, here's sentence number one. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, here's number two, you will not surely die. And then here's number three. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Snake says three sentences. That's it. He speaks three sentences to Eve. Adam is standing right there. He never debates. He never jumps in. So we can infer that he's taking all of this in too. He's being reeled in as well. Three sentences and it takes down all of humanity. Now let's deal with one thing first. We've got, we talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago. First thing that we notice in this passage is we have here a talking snake. That's a little strange. Okay, we read this. The best interpretation of what's happening here is that we've got actually the devil, Satan, has actually entered into a normal animal and he's using that animal as a mouthpiece. This, there's other interpretations that godly, Bible-believing Christians uh, believe, but for this morning we're going to operate like this. The, the devil has entered into the snake and is actually using it to talk to Eve. Now this presents a little bit of a problem. Why is Eve not freaking out? You have a talking snake. If I saw a talking snake, I would freak out. If I saw a snake, I'd freak out, for starters. Talking snake, I would really freak out. Okay, so why is Eve just having a normal conversation? Actually, someone in our community group mentioned, um, <clears throat> mentioned an idea on this. I thought this was so interesting. Imagine where Adam and Eve are in this, this world where there's no sin, there's no evil, there's no pain, there's no hurt. Their life is just one of continuous discovery of amazing things. God's just constantly showing them new and amazing things. So they, they see, wow, look what God did there, and look what God did there, and that's incredible. If we were to see something strange, if I was to see a talking snake, I'm saying, okay, I'm probably going crazy, or this is some kind of weird alien encounter, but one way or another, something has gone wrong. I'm essentially asking the question, What's wrong here? We have a talking animal. We have a talking snake. Remember, Adam and Eve, they've never had to ask that question. They've never had to ask the question, what's wrong? Okay, that's new. Is it dangerous? They've never been skittish. They've never been afraid. They've never wondered if that was going to hurt them. It's just been one continuous like, wow, cool, what's this? They've never had a reason to be afraid or question. So you have this snake that's talking to Eve, and he has three statements The first one he says is this. He says, did God actually say you can't eat of any of the trees in the garden? You can't eat of any of the trees? This is an interesting statement. He's making God seem really, really, really restrictive. Because remember, this is actually kind of an absurd statement. Remember, all they eat is of the trees. That's all they eat. That's their entire diet. 
They only eat of the trees. So he's essentially coming up, and his first statement is, gosh, you guys have to be starving. You haven't had anything to eat. God doesn't let you eat anything. Man, you must be so hungry. That God is so cruel. That's the first statement. Eve says, no, 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 we can eat of the, the fruit of the trees in the garden. We can eat of those. It's just that one tree in the midst of the garden. That's the one he's talking about. And then a second statement is this. She says, if we eat of that one, we'll die. And a second statement is, you won't die. That's just crazy. Did God tell you you'd die if you'd eat that fruit? You won't die. He's contradicting God directly, but here's what he's doing. We'll see in a moment when we go to the next verse, in verse 6, what we'll see is that statement changed Eve's whole perspective of that fruit. Before that was the poison fruit. That was the death fruit. Man, I, I, I'm not going to eat of that fruit because, you know, I, I, that's just going to kill me. That doesn't even look appetizing. It's the death fruit, okay? He, but he says that. He makes it, her question that, and now she sees the fruit differently. Okay, can you imagine just going to, you know, a gas station, you're pumping gas, and you smell the gas, and you're like, oh, man, I just kind of wonder what that tastes like. You know, I'm just going to just, you know, squirt a little in my mouth. Just want a sip of the gas. I mean, this can't be that bad. You've hopefully never had that thought because you know that that's poison, She's all the time, she's like, okay, that's the death poison fruit. I don't want any of that. He says, no, it's not poison. And now she considers it. Now she looks at it, and it changes the way she sees this fruit. Then the third statement, he says, no, no, no. Actually, if you eat it, you'll become like God. And how will you become like God? Man, you'll have all kinds of knowledge. You'll know all kinds of things you don't know, and you'll become like God. Now, this is a really interesting temptation because think about Adam and Eve. What could he tempt Adam and Eve with? What would temptation look like for Adam and Eve? What could he offer them that they don't have? They've got everything. They have, they're the most thoroughly satisfied, happy, joyous human beings ever to exist. They live in perfect harmony with each other. They live in perfect harmony with their surroundings. God has given them this beautiful, lush garden. They have all their needs met. They're just deeply content, deeply satisfied, deeply joyous in a way that we can't even understand. They walk tangibly with God in the garden. We learn in this chapter that God just shows up in the garden. They walk together. I mean, the object that all of us are made to desire, God himself, he walks with them in the garden. Perfect harmony. They have no needs, no wants. They've never even, they don't even understand what that would feel like. So what could he possibly tempt them with? The one thing that they, they aren't. You could be like God. That's what you could be like. That's the one thing you're not. You've got everything else met, all your needs met, all your desires satisfied, but the one thing that you don't know, the one thing you aren't, is God. So look at what happens next. This is verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree, watch this, was one, good for food, Two, that it was a delight to the eyes. And three, the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now think about this for a second. A piece of fruit 
That's what took down humanity. The evil one was able to make fruit so irresistibly desirable that all of humanity has suffered since then. Okay, I generally don't find fruit to be that tempting. I'm rarely in my office in the middle of the week like, man, I would kill for a nectarine if I could get one of those. Holy mackerel, I would love a nectarine right now, okay? Food, it just doesn't seem like it's that unbelievably tempting, but we have to understand what's going on. And I might argue that food can actually be a major source of temptation, okay? I want to take us on a journey here together to show you how alluring food can be, especially when it's just right before lunchtime, okay? Let's just go on this journey. I just want to say one word to just suggest one thought, place it into your brain, bacon. <laughs> I want you to imagine the possibilities. I mean, that's not turkey bacon, folks. <laughs> I want you to imagine a hamburger with crispy bacon on it. Maybe you decide this afternoon, you know what, we're going to have breakfast for lunch, take a trip to Cracker Barrel, eggs and bacon. I want you just to hear in your mind the sound of sizzling bacon in a pan starting to sizzle. You guys hear that, right? It's not, because I might be freaking out a little bit. All right, guys, go ahead and pump in the smell of bacon for everyone. No, I'm kidding. I can't do that to you guys. It would... We wouldn't be able to concentrate. In fact, let's just go ahead and turn off the sizzling. I can't even think straight. Okay, thank you. I want you to imagine how unbelievably alluring anything can be if it taps into the right impulses. What he taps in here, I want you to imagine the first thing he taps into is, says, man, you must be starving. And she sees, man, that does look like it's good for food. Okay, she starts to wonder. Maybe her stomach starts to grumble. This the first part of the temptation. Man, I, I am kind of hungry. and Man, every fruit that I've tried, all the food in this garden has been unbelievable. Man, I, I wonder what that fruit tastes like. I mean, I wonder if it's like the most perfectly ripe mango that you just bite into and just the juice just runs down your face. I mean, I just wonder if it's just, it's just like the most perfect pineapple. It's just so unbelievably sweet. Now she just, all she can think about her, her stomach is growling. Her mouth is actually watering. She's, she's kind of, she just can't think about anything else than how that fruit might taste. Man, it looks good for food. But that's not the only thing. Remember, he turned and changed the way she saw the fruit. And she sees it's now a delight to the eyes. And now she's starting to think, man, I, I mean, all of the fruit in the garden I can have. Look at this incredible collection of trees that Adam and I have. We can have of any of these fruit all the time. All, all of the food here is ours, but now there's one that I can't have. Man, that tree now, it's just, it's mocking me. It's like a beacon of what I don't have. And now before I felt totally content, but now all I can think about the fact is I don't own that. That's not mine to possess. It belongs to someone else. It's untouchable. And now I can't think of anything else. Her eyes desire it. She wants it. But that's not the only thing. He, he dangles in front of them the fact that you could be like God. And now she realizes, okay, I mean, we're, 
we're God's children. You know, he, Adam and I are here. We, we've been given this awesome responsibility of, of, of caring for this planet. But man, there's something different when we walk through the garden with God. I mean, you wonder what that was like. Can you imagine they're walking through the garden with God? I wonder if before there was a curse on this planet, before there's sin, I wonder if she could just see all of creation responding to the tangible presence of the creator on the scene. I wonder if in in a way that we can't understand is God's presence tangibly walks through the garden if like all of a sudden trees are like more tree-ish. I wonder if like animals are just, they, they come up to God's presence and just bask in his presence because the creator is there. I wonder if she just feels the joy and the rush of being in the presence of their creator, the one that just pours out love over them, the one that knows them intimately, the most personal being. And I wonder if now she's starting to think, I wonder what that feels like. I wonder what that would be like to be walking through the garden and see all of nature responding to me. What would that be like to be like God? What would it take? What would I have to be? What if I had so much knowledge and wisdom that it's irresistible, that man, that, that, that's God-like, and all of a sudden the respect, the, this, everything around me, the way Adam looks at me, the way these, these animals handle me, the way that even just the, the molecules on this planet respond different to me because I am like God. And it's all there right in this fruit. I mean, the fruit is, is really irrelevant. It's these impulses that he's awakened in their hearts. And there are three impulses that, this isn't the only place scripture talks about these three foundational impulses. Listen to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Go ahead and bring that scripture up on the screen. Listen, this is what it says in the New Testament. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now watch this. For all that is in the world, this is the summary of what's in the world. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. See what it's talking about? It's like, man, it's the desires of the flesh. It's the cravings of the body. That's it's like one category of impulses. And then there's the things that I want to get. It's another category, the things that I can't have. And then there's this thing, the things that, the pride from life that I, I prove who I am. There's these foundational impulses. It's like underneath our, our sins, our mistakes, our failures, you find idols, things that we've made to be like God. But underneath Idols, you find these foundational impulses. There's like all the way back, if you go to the source of our wicked hearts, you'd find these foundational impulses that are described here, and they're the very things that Satan targeted on humanity in the garden. Let's break these out. Go ahead and bring up the first one. Three fundamental impulses. The first one is the desires of the body. These are just the things that our our bodies crave. Could be sexual desire, could be desire for comfort, could be desire to have freedom from pain, it could be just desires for pleasure. These are the types of things that lead to all, when it's misguided, these desires lead to all kinds of things. They could lead to lust, could lead to gluttony, could lead to alcoholism, it could lead to worshiping comfort. Making comfort, like I'll do anything, God, but man, just don't get me uncomfortable. I gotta stay in my nice, neat little 
situation here. It could be worshiping security. Man, I just don't like going outside of where I feel secure, so I'm just going to put all these walls around. I'm just going to do safe. God, don't ask me to make too big of a faith step. I've got this security thing going. It could lead to laziness. I could do that, but it's just so, so stressful, so much work. It all goes back to this fundamental impulse, these cravings of the body. This is the thing that made Eve's, Adam and Eve's stomach start to grumble. Man, that looks good for food. I wonder what that tastes like. But then there's a second one. Three fundamental human impulses. The second one is the desires of the eyes. If the first one is the things I want to feel, the desires of the body, this one are the things I want to get. This can lead to all kinds of things. It can lead to materialism. Constantly saying, okay, I don't have that. I wish I could get that. How am I going to get that thing? It can, it can lead to greed. Okay, I just need to get more and more and more and more. It could lead to coveting. Man, I, they've got that. Now I've got to have it. I can't believe they've got that. Okay, now how am I going to get something like that? It, it can lead to jealousy. Man, now my relationship is hurt with that person because they have something that I don't have and I'm jealous. It's the thing that drives me. Okay, I've got to, I can't believe I don't have that. I want that. I want a collection of things. I want to add to the stuff that I have. It's desires of the eyes. It's the thing that made Adam and Eve look at that fruit differently. Man, that's the one thing I don't have. Man, it is a desire to the eyes. It's a fundamental impulse that can lead to all different kinds of things. Then there's a third fundamental human impulse. It's the desires to become. And that might be the most deadly. This is where I'm saying, I I want to be, these are the things I want to feel. It's the first one. These are the things I want to get. These are the things, the last category, the things I want to be known as. It's what's called in 1 John the, the pride of life. It's where I'm striving to prove that I am this. I am successful. I am better. I am popular. I am desirable. I am pretty. I am good looking. I am, it's this category of things I'm proving that I am. It's this insatiable desire to become. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to prove to the people around me. Maybe it was, it was a, a word that someone said to me, and my, maybe my parents said something and put me down, or maybe a friend said something, or, or someone once, I was in a relationship, said something, and now I've spent my life trying to prove to them that, I'm, that that's not who I am. No, I will be a success. No, I will uh, outdo that person. No, I will get to that next level. And it's this craving to achieve and to get to, to be known as. These are the things that can lead to arrogance. It leads to pride. These are the things that, that lead to self-righteousness. I'm proving that I am good. These are the things that lead to like vanity. I have to prove that I look at it. I have to prove to all of those people around me, there's those certain people that they need to be able to, they have to admit that I am this. But you know what really I'm, who I'm trying to prove myself to? I'm trying to prove to myself that I'm that. And I just want to see it in their eyes. And if I can see it in their eyes, then I know I am that. See, these are these impulses. It's, it's, it's sometimes where we can be focused on, well, I shouldn't do this, this action and this action, and don't say that and don't say this. But what this passage is hinting for us to do is we've got to dig in and we've got to know deeply the impulses back deep in our hearts, the things we desire and we're trying to find in something other than God himself. 
And here's why it's so important to understand these impulses in our life because we may be in a, a struggle with temptation and we're dealing with those symptoms, but we don't have the right problem. We're dealing with the wrong problem. So for example, a couple months ago, um, I was sick. I just had this cough. I had a runny nose. I just had all this congestion and it was right before one of our services. And so I, I went to the pharmacy and I'm like, okay, man, I, I've, I'm going to be preaching here in, in uh, a couple hours. I just need something. I've got this cold. I need something to deal with these symptoms. And the, the pharmacist says, okay, try this and gave me something for um, allergies. But problem, my problem was I didn't have allergies. What I had was I had a cold. And so I took those, those things, I, I took them and it didn't help me. I actually ended up more sick in the end because I wasn't dealing with the real problem underneath. But maybe you felt that way with temptation. I've got this temptation struggle. I keep falling into this over and over. And I'm trying to deal with it. I'm trying to deal with it. I've got this whole plan. I've got this person, this accountability person. I've got these steps. I've got this discipline. And I'm praying, God, help me fix this. And I'm dealing with this symptom of this sin that I'm acting out that I can't stop. But maybe the whole time, I'm not dealing with the, the source underneath the surface. Let's talk, for example, let's use a couple examples. Let's talk about uh, sexual sin. Maybe it's having an affair. Maybe it's, it's, it's trying to meet that physical desire in something outside of God's plan. Well, we usually think, well, that's just a, a craving of the body, right? You know, it's, man, I, I see, I just can't resist that temptation and I fall into sexual sin. It's, it's a craving of the body. It can be. But it can also be a different impulse altogether that I may not even realize. It can be the person that says, you know, I, I want to see if I can get them. Maybe it's a desire of the eyes, not even in a lust way. It's, I want to see if I can get them. I want to add that person to the collection of people I've gotten. I want to see if I can get her. I want to see if I can get him. I want to see if I can seduce them. I want to add to my collection. Maybe it's not a lust of the eyes. So often it's the desire to become. It's the desire of what it means. Maybe it's, it's a married couple. And one's no longer feeling affirmed, not feeling respected. It's not, not feeling affirmed as the person that they want to be. And so I, I'm feeling insecure. And all of a sudden, there's that person that gives me self-worth. Well, she thinks I'm attractive. She thinks I'm impressive. He, maybe it's, it's the woman, he thinks, uh, he listens to me, he pays attention to me, he cherishes me, and so now all of a sudden, the impulse is, I want so badly to feel valuable. And I might be saying, well, man, I just got to control these, these bodily urges, and I don't even realize it's this impulse that I'm trying to feel valuable, and that's what's leading me into this. Maybe it's the student, and, it's, and all your other guy friends are saying, man, you, you have this girlfriend for this long, and you haven't done this? Dude, are you even a man? Really? That's unbelievable. Guys, did you hear he, they, they haven't done anything in their relationship. Man, this guy. Who, and all of a sudden now it's like maybe it's not even a lust issue. Maybe it's, no, I've got to prove that I'm at this level. Maybe it's a, it's a girlfriend and she wants so badly to feel cherished by this one. She wants to feel significant to someone and she's so afraid that if she doesn't give herself to him physically, she'll lose the one person that she feels thinks she's significant. So she falls into sin when the impulse, maybe it's not even a bodily impulse. It's this desire to be significant. You know, we think about materialism, we kind of think, well, that's, that's a, a problem of a desire of the eyes. It's just, man, I want to have that. Well, look at that. That's nice. I want to have that. Yeah, it can be. But it can also be a desire, just a craving of the body. Man, there's like a little rush, a little pick-me-up when that package arrives from the mail that I ordered online. 
little pick-me-up. Wow, that made my day a little brighter. You know, when I come outside and see that new shiny car, wow, that's, that makes me feel like a little bit. I get a little rush from that. It might be completely a bodily craving. I might be going like, man, I'm feeling down, I'm feeling depressed, but if I get this and this, that kind of gives a pick-me-up. It might also be a, a desire to become, well, man, if I have these kind of golf clubs when I get to the golf course, man, they'll think that I'm like the real deal around here. Man, if I can drive that kind of car, then I know I've made it. I've always seen that person that drove that car, and so then if I drive that car, that means I've made it. Man, if I wear these clothes, well, then they'll think I'm beautiful, trendy, desirable, then they'll think this of me. Maybe what's behind it is a completely different impulse I'm not even realizing. Do you know it can be the same impulse behind the good things that we do as well? We can say, okay, well, you know, I'm just, I'm a hard worker and I, I'm just trying to provide for my family. But if I'm not aware of these impulses underneath, that may not be the real reason that I'm a workaholic. I'm just trying to be, I'm trying to provide for my family. I'm just a hard worker. That's a value I have. Well, it could be that. Or it could be that I'm working so hard because I have all these things that I want to get, things that I want to have. I have all these things that, these comforts that I could provide for myself. Maybe it's I have to prove to myself that I'm somebody. It's a desire to become. I have these things that I want to, I want to achieve. Man, if I get to this level, if, if I have this in the bank account, if I have this for retirement, if I, have, if I have this salary level, if I have this position, then I've made it. If we're not aware of those impulses, we may fool ourselves. And we may be losing the things that are the most valuable to me. I, I can work out. I could say, well, you know, I'm just trying to be a good steward of my body. And, and, you know, God gave me this body. I'm just trying to be wise. And yeah, absolutely, that may be it. Or it may be purely just vanity. I just, I, I think that if someone sees me, then they'll recognize me as this kind of person. You know, it's Mobilization Sunday. You know, there, there's, um, I, I hope that everyone in here, we'd go back there and we'd take the opportunity and and. and completely change a life, impact a life, and sponsor a child. But you know, there could be all kinds of reasons, wrong reasons to do that. One could be, you know what, I just, it feels good to help someone. I'm going to do it because I just get a little, it feels good. You know, man, I, I mean, I want someone to see that I'm walking out with 75 packets here, you know. I don't say, she's, oh, I dropped a couple. Could you help me with that? You know, I just want people to see that. I, I feel like I'm, see, this is accumulation of how righteous I am. Do you know the best reason to do that? It's because Jesus Christ, who was rich, became poor and took, because we were spiritually bankrupt, he took our sin, our spiritual poverty on himself. And he said, follow after me. And he said things like, if you see someone in need and you have the means to satisfy that need, just do it. Because that's what God did for you. So he said, all right, God, for your glory, out of obedience to you, I might do something like that. See, it's so important for us to know ourselves and the impulses that are underneath the surface. So maybe we, this morning, maybe we uh, leave here with some homework. I want to challenge you this morning to leave here. You have an assignment. We all have an assignment. In the next, hopefully if you can, in the next 48 hours, set aside 30 minutes to an hour. Maybe you wake up 30 minutes early tomorrow. Maybe you find, uh, maybe later this afternoon, if you're married, you have kids, you say, okay, um, one spouse takes the kids for an hour, then you, then you swap, the other person takes the kids for an hour, and you get alone with God. 
And you say, God, this is way deeper than I can discern on myself. So Holy Spirit, I want you to speak into my life. Show me. Maybe you get a journal. Maybe you get a physical journal or you get a a Word document or maybe you get an Evernote document or maybe you get the West Pines app has a journal in it. You open a journal and you just say, okay, God, just show me. What are the impulses that are driving my life? I mean, how could we hear this passage and hear the danger that we're facing with temptation lurking at the door and just do nothing about it? So we say, Holy Spirit, speak into my life. Show me where these dangers are. Maybe you read and you pray through Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Write it down. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any sinful way in me and guide me in the way of everlasting. And Maybe just pray through that. Holy Spirit, show me. You've got to show me what's in my heart. How are these impulses shaping the temptations I'm facing and even behind some of the things I think I'm doing out of good motives, but really they're bad motives and take that time and set apart to seek out the Lord. Maybe you share that later with your spouse. You have a Christian friend you share that with. Maybe you share that at community group. Hey, this is, we all have them. Say, this is the order, man. I struggle with this one first, this one a little bit less, this one's not as much, but man, this one gets me every time, this impulse. Maybe for you, it's, man, it's the desires of the flesh. Man, I just, I just love comfort. I just, these are the things that I, I struggle with. Or maybe it's, man, I, when I, I struggle with desires of the eyes, or man, I'm just always, I feel like I'm always trying to prove myself to myself. And you seek the Lord and let him speak into your life. You know, Adam and Eve weren't the only ones that were, personally, directly tempted by Satan. There's another person, Jesus. He started his ministry by going out into the wilderness by himself to pray and to fast. He went without food. It says he fasted for 40 days just seeking the Lord. And then Luke says, I mean... Thank you, Captain Obvious, Luke said. And he was hungry. No kidding. He's hungry, and, and guess what a perfect moment for the devil to show up, and he started to tempt him. And you know what his temptations were? His first one was like, man, Jesus, if you're the Son of God, you could, you could turn these stones into bread. You must be so hungry. Sound familiar? You must be so hungry. You could just turn these stones into bread. But you know, the irony is when Jesus was tempted, it wasn't like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were in the middle of the most perfect, lush garden with food to eat everywhere. They weren't hungry. But Jesus was hungry. And he was in the wilderness. And he said, man does not live by bread alone. He just spoke just scripture. In other words, he's saying, my life is not reduced down to meeting the desires of my body. I'm not just, a, in summary, the desires of my flesh. I don't go from one thing to the next just trying to fill the desires of my flesh. He's saying there's something more satisfying. It's God. Then Satan said, come here, Jesus, I want to show you something. I want you to see something. He takes him to the top of a mountain. He says, look at all these kingdoms. I want you to see it because they could all be yours. You could have a glorious collection, a collection of kingdoms, What could he offer Jesus? He said, I'll give you all this stuff. You just need to worship me. And it's all yours in an instant. No suffering, Jesus. No cross. You you don't have any humiliation. You can just have it right now. The easy route. And Jesus said, no. He says, as the scripture says, shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
He's essentially saying, no, there's only one thing I worship. There's only one God that, that my heart desires that I want to grow closer to and get more of. It's God himself, the source of all that's good. He's the one I want more of. And then he said, okay. And the most strangest temptation he did next, next and boy, he dug in on this one. He takes him up to the top of the, the temple. He takes him to the, the most pinnacle part. There's a valley underneath. It's 450 feet down and they're looking over the edge and he says, Jesus... I mean, you're, you say you're the son of God. I, mean, I don't know if you remember, Jesus, what the Bible says, but it says that, that God will come to the rescue of the righteous. So you, could, you say you're the son of God. You say you're this man of righteousness, but you can just prove it for everyone right now. Just toss yourself out. We'll see angels come pick you up. I and mean, that's what the Bible says. Prove it. Prove to yourself and everyone else that you really are the son of God. Just jump off. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to put the Lord... God to the test, that's what the scripture says. In other words, he's saying, I know who I am. I don't have to go through this life trying to prove it to anybody and letting God pick up the messy pieces at the end. Christian, do you know who you are? Do you know who you already are? is so insurmountably higher than anything you could ever achieve in this life. You're a child of God, his beloved. You are someone so precious and valuable that God is pursuing you. And pursuing you not till he gets tired. He's pursuing you till he's suffered and bled out and done the, the most incredible sacrifice in the history of the world to get you. There's no higher value you could possibly ever have. You know, the incredible thing about this story is Jesus comes to earth and he doesn't only take away our sins. Do you see what else he's done? He's been righteous where we couldn't. And he doesn't just take away our sins. He gives us his righteousness. So when God looks at us, he sees us, if we're in Jesus, as if we're as righteous as Jesus It's basically like he's done a heart transplant. It's like us, you, and Jesus are laying side by side in an operating room. And God cuts open your chest and he takes out your heart that's full of sin, that's full of death, it's destructive, it's full of rebellion and mistakes and failures, and it's full of trying to control and full of idolatry and, and sinful impulses. And he takes out that diseased heart and then he takes out Jesus' perfect glorious, obedient heart and he puts that heart in you and he takes the diseased heart and puts that in Jesus and then punishes Jesus instead of you. That's what he did on the cross. And Jesus said, I'll gladly take all the punishment for you and I'll exchange and give you my righteousness. That's what happened on the cross and that's what God's saying. You only need to accept that in faith because I love you that much. You can make that exchange this morning. Is that you? You say, look, I've been trying to just impress God. I'm all those impulses. I'm guilty. You can make it right once and for all with God and say, "I, I want that transplant. God, I want you to operate with me as if I have the righteousness of Jesus permanently for the rest of eternity. Do you want to make that exchange today? Jesus is offering himself to you. He's just saying, I'm on the operating table. You just get on this operating table next to me. And you can do that this morning. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me?
Do you want to make that exchange? If that's you, just pray this prayer right there between you and God. Just between you and God, make these words your own. Say, God, I want salvation from Jesus. Thank you for offering it. It's so humbling, but thank you for offering to take my sin and put it on Jesus and take his righteousness and put it on me. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. If you love me that much, I'll follow you for the rest of my life. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.